Good evening. Uh, this lecture is Leilu Nishmat Neli Bat Ma'aji and Shiduch Sun Bezrat Hashem Agun for Lea Tsipora Batsara Rivka and Lerfuat Reina Lolita Bat Shirli Rachel Lerfuat Binyamin Ben Irina Irina and Refuad Bracha Batchaya Bezrat Hashem As you know, tomorrow Bezrat Hashem I'm flying to Israel for another round of lectures and uh, weekend seminars It's a miracle that Israel has the highest numbers of COVID cases the worse it's been and the lectures are all packed, gonna be. I don't know how it's gonna, how is it possible. I have uh, on Shabbat, I'm gonna be with 300 Israeli soldiers in the north. And as you know, probably none of them is religious. Chance to save 300 souls this Shabbat. We will see. All right, after that, we have Motzei Shabbat, not far in a city not far from the, from the hotel, another lecture. And the following day in the afternoon, also in the north. We don't even come back, we stay there to sleep. So there's a lot of work, Baruch Hashem. Let's see how it's gonna be. I heard next week, no. next week, the next two weeks, no lecture. We'll, I'll be back, Bezrat Hashem, February 6th. So February 7th, Monday, we will resume the lectures. The next two Tuesdays you have off. Don't waste time on TV and nonsense. Do something productive. If you don't come to live lecture, at least you watch one of the old ones. You know, just as good. Uh, I saw something unbelievable yesterday. Remember that like six months ago there was riots here? maybe eight months ago, I don't know how time is flying. How, you saw the riots, but how, how they went into stores and robbed everything. Now they found something new, worse. In California, they are attacking Amazon trains, huge long trains with hundreds of millions of dollars merchandise on it millions of packages you know it's long train it's not a truck it's long 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 trains cargo full of each piece as like tens of thousands of boxes and packages i don't know how they come like uh, like a bunch of like the bees you know how the bees comes in millions or the grasshoppers they come they attack the place, I don't know, with guns, without guns, I don't know all the details, I'm just letting you know what's happening right now. And then you see million bags and packages all over the area, ripped, all over. They steal everything, jewelry, watches, uh, sneakers, computers. I told you these things years ago. Uh, we, will, we will be day that you're going to come out of the supermarket with a cart full of $1,000 worth of food. Someone will come with a knife to your back or a gun and say, get out of here. 
and will take everything and steal everything to his own car. People will steal food with guns. It's just a matter of time. It's happening already in different parts of the, play, of the country. You can say that the Democrats will bring a financial holocaust on this country, but it's all from Hashem. That's what the people wanted. That's like what you cook, that's what you have to eat. You cook yourself a dinner, it's up to you how it's going to come out. You put some time and you invest and you buy the right products, you're going to have a good healthy dinner. You're going to get some poison, stale, old, not fresh, throw everything, mix. It's going to taste like gasoline. That's what you want to eat, that's what you're going to eat. You want it Sleepy Joe? You go to sleep with Sleepy Joe. You understand? You wanted all the corruptions of this leftists? That's what you're going to live with. You wanted a social communist country? That's what you're getting. It's only get worse and worse. I heard Sleepy Joe is less than 20% support by the public. 20%. Meaning 80% are unhappy from him. Huh? It reminds me, wow, that reminds me of a good joke. One person came to Rav Steinemann <laughs> 1 a.m. at night in Pnei Brak. Rav Steinemann was like 106 at that time, 104, something like that. Boom, 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 he knocks on the door. The rabbit opened the door. Hi, can I help you? Everything okay? Who comes at 1 a.m.? I must see the rabbi. Oh, Hashem, the tzaddik was learning Torah, he's not sleeping. So <laughs> she said, okay, okay, let me tell him. He said, someone is here, it has to be an emergency. Let him in. He sat with him for 15 minutes, and the guy and his son, there were two people, an older man and a younger guy. That was his son. They came, he came in nervous, he walked out with a smile. It didn't look such a great emergency. She asked the husband, what was so urgent to come at 1 a.m. if they left happy? He said, this guy is one of the candidates to be the mayor of Bnei Brak. By tomorrow is the final day, by 10 o'clock in the morning or something, that he has to submit the papers and pay the fee that he would like to run on the election. And he, until this moment, did not make up his mind if it's worth it for him to do it. Does he have a chance or no? So that's why he needed a final answer from me, because he cannot make up his own mind. And what did you tell him? I told him not to run. And she asked why. I told him because no one would vote for him in Bnei Brak. No one. So she asked, oh, he said, I told him no one in Bnei Brak will vote for you besides your son. So she said, so why did he leave so happy? So Rav Steinemann told her, I guess he thought that his son also will not vote for him. But I told him his son will vote for him and made him happy. That sleepy Joe. His son will vote for him in the end, by the end of the four years. He'll be happy. Huh? 
I think the next election he would think that he's uh, going to be the president of France. You know, he may not know where he is, you know, in the United States, in Florida, in Michigan, in New York. We're not making fun at Sleepy Joe, no. And a man that is 80 years old, it's very possible to be sleepy. That's the way the life is. You don't stay young forever. And you become senile, and the brain is not as functioning as good as it was 30 years ago. We know that it happens to non-Jews, to Jews, male, female, all kinds of people. The last thing, God forbid, is to laugh at anyone for disability or anyone because of his age or because of his brain abilities. We are laughing at the idiots that take someone with problems like this and put him as the president of the world. This is who we're making fun at, those idiots. 30, 40, 50 years old people, doctors, lawyers, judges, who vote for someone who doesn't remember his name. For that, it's mitzvah to laugh at them. These idiots, these wicked people, they want to let the country go down the drain. They want to let the country be destroyed, reach $60 trillion deficit. Why? To take revenge against Trump. Why? Because he told them the truth as it is. Can't handle it. Let's push the wagon down the mountain. Let's destroy this country. Everything here is destroyed. Everything. Just as bad as in Israel. Same idea. God forbid. It's only getting worse and worse. Someone asked me, what's going to happen in America? I told him, every day will be worse than yesterday. Every day will be worse than yesterday. That's what's going to happen. Tov, let's talk a little bit Torah here. Enough current events. Yesterday I spoke one hour current events. If you want to know the news, stay tuned. That will be probably posted in the next day or two. The final, uh, the end of the last parasha, parashat Beshalach, is the war against Amalek. There is a nation, descendants of Esav. Amalek was a human being. He came from the family of Esav. And Amalek has a history of attacking the Jewish nation always by surprise. And always on the, ro on the road, on the run. It's not like you have two countries and they have a mutual border and they're fighting for the border and they're attacking each other every once in a while. And, you know, or two countries wants to claim ownership about some island like uh, Argentina and uh, England. The Falkland Island, remember 25, 30 years ago? Yeah. Everybody wants to own that piece of land. It belongs to us, belongs to you. Fight. Or Hong Kong and China, there are a lot of delegations about property. Property is money, it's power, okay, we know that. We have nothing to do with Amalek. We don't have a mutual border, we never stayed in their property, we never lived by them. But they make an effort always to come, chase us, find us on the road and attack us. Pure antisemitism. Nothing else. See, every other country can make up a story. Palestinians are going to tell you, oh, we were here, it's our land. Arabs, 
you're pinning the neck. The whole Middle East is 99.9% Arab, all of a sudden 0.01% Jews. Just get out of here. Go back to Europe. I don't know. Okay, it's, we want the whole Middle East to be Arab. You're ruining the party. No. But what Amalek has to do with us? Because of this point that I'm bringing up now, God hates them the most in the world. There's no nation he hates more than them. There's no nation in the Torah that God said to the Jews, go and kill them. Not the Egyptians, not the Arabs, not the idol worshippers of China and Tibet and all these other countries. There's a lot of idol worshippers in a lot of wicked countries. We have no business with them. The Torah didn't tell us, go to China, get rid of all the idols and kill all the idol worshippers. The Torah only say, the Torah only said, what the Torah say? The Torah say, uviyartara mikirbecha. Clean the bed from among you. Worry about your own country, about your own community. The rest of the world, leave it to me. I will take care of these idol worshippers. I will take care of them in this world and in the next world. But in Israel, it's your responsibility to make it pure and clean and get rid of them and get rid of their idols. Even that we didn't do. Israel is full of idols, full of churches, full of Baha'i temple and all kinds of mosques, even though mosque is not an idol-worshipping place, but is a fake religion. It's also not supposed to be in a holy land. So, you know, we didn't clear Israel yet. We don't even have the control in Israel. The Christian church has hundreds of acres that they own in Jerusalem. Each acre worth $100 million and up. Even the Knesset, the Israeli government, this entire area on the mountain belongs to the Christian church. They own it for more than 100 years ago. Over 100 years ago, they rented it to the Israelis, or something like that. I don't know exactly, maybe eight years ago, seven years ago, to a 100 years contract. What would happen when the 100 years would end? Do you know how much it's going to be to rent this place every month? Millions of dollars. So they put everywhere you see all these churches with the architecture of 300 years ago, 500 years ago, 700 years ago. It means it belongs to them. The Russian church, the Armenian church, the Greek church, the Saljukim, the Fatamim, the Ottomanim. Everyone you can think of has some kind of a property in Jerusalem. The nature of the Jews is that they surrender to their enemies. They don't want to start a war. So they let them keep their properties over there. When the Arabs kicked the Jews from every one of their countries, they just stole their property and turned it into Arab territory. <coughs> Same thing they did in Iran. Once the Jews escaped, when the Shah lost, all the buildings and the hotels and the properties and the businesses that the Jews own, they stole everything and made it themselves. 
they broke in, it's mine now, I live here, that's it, end of it. The Jew can never go back and get his property in Iran or in Libya or in Iraq or in Syria or in Lebanon, all these countries that they were robbed, no. Once the Goim stole it, they stole it. If there was a, a synagogue, either they burned it or they kept it as a museum. But that's it. No Jews can ever go back and claim their property. Same thing in Poland. Same thing in Germany before the Holocaust. Even the money the Jews hid in the Swiss bank, was thousands of people were hiding money over there because it used to be by number. No name. No name. Because the United States IRS was not yet a dictatorship. Now it became a dictatorship, meaning they want to control the world. So they go to every country and bully them. Give us the names of all American citizens who have money over here. And if you don't, we will not allow you to do business in America. We'll disconnect you from the SWIFT. No one will be able to do wires. You're not going to be in business. We will drag you out of business. They put a gun to their head. And then the bank turned against their own customers after they promised them, you can trust us, your money is safe. You can put it over here. No one would ever know. In the end, they sell you in a minute because they want to save themselves. And that's how thousands of people ended up going to jail. So now, this was before the Holocaust. Poor Jews. Not only they got murdered, not only they destroyed them physically, mentally, stole everything they owned, property. The cash that they had, saving for the future to marry their children, who stole it in the end? The Swiss. The Swiss bank. They even had a lawsuit here against them. 25 years ago, when, when not Andro Como, Mario Como, his father, his father was the governor of New York 25 years ago. At that time, there was a big lawsuit against the Swiss, uh, Swiss bank for all the lost accounts the Jews had there before the Holocaust. And guess how much they settled the case for? A joke. A hundred million dollars for thousands of thousands of victims. All the account together, they have to split a hundred million dollars to thousands of thousands of family, or tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, who knows? I don't know the numbers. Everyone got uh, probably a few thousand dollars, and that was the end of it. And the billions and the trillions that they stole, they kept. Imagine the double tragedy of here. You, you work all your life like a slave in the hard days of Europe, right? We're talking 1930s. It wasn't like today. You press buttons, computers, everything was hard work. You wanted to do accounting, you had to sit a week to do accounting that take you an hour now. A week with papers. What did you, you didn't need a calculator. You had to do the math with a pencil. You didn't have lifts, you didn't have robots, you didn't have machinery like today. Everything was a hundred times harder to do. They work like real slaves, not like today a Jewish lady in Flatbush has to do laundry and she's so depressed. Why? Because she has to press three buttons. And then she will have to put it in a basket and throw it to the dryer and press two more buttons. Oh my God, such a nightmare. Why? Amiga Silvia did not show up today. She has COVID. So 
Itzik is calling his wife Rachel. Rachel, how are you doing? Como estas? Terrible. Isaac, terrible. I want to kill myself. What happened? What, what happened, honey? What happened? Talk to me. I, I want to support. No, no, I don't want to live anymore. Why? Sylvia has COVID. So, okay, it's nice. she's a young woman. She will, <laughs> she will survive. No, but she's not going to come for two days. Do you know what a pile of laundry I have in the machine now? To... So, oh my, okay, okay, I'll leave the office now. I'll close, I'll come transfer the, the laundry from the machine into the dryer. Don't worry. But 20 years ago, she had to hang them on ropes with clips and come every three hours, check if it dried. But 50 years ago, she had to go to the lake in a weather like today, when the lake is ice. I have to break it with a stick and do laundry when your hands become yellow, green. Laundry, you know, in freezing weather and wind. Yes, <laughs> yesterday I needed to put air in the tire. You know, the light went on. I feel the car goes a little bit to the left. I, I pulled in the gas station. I opened the door, I stood, the wind, it's 20 degrees, five seconds, you know what, I, I rather the car <laughs> drive on the sidewalk, than now pulling the cable, you know, and wait three minutes until it's going to pump, the heck with it, this is how spoiled we became, so Rabotai, you understand what happened here? So they work like slaves for 30, 40, 50 years and they save money to marry their children and grandchildren. Everybody thinks about its kids, no? And then one day, this monster broke into their houses, kidnapped them all, put them in gas chambers or in ghettos or whatever it was. And now they kill them one by one and they are getting choked with the gas thinking, there's one thing I'm getting killed now. I'm 40, I'm 50, I'm 60. I had so many plans, I didn't marry the children, nothing. I'm just getting killed. Finally, I build the business. And now I'm getting choked. But all the money in Switzerland, I finally put a few million dollars over there. Pension money. At least if I could only go and save the money and do something with that. So now you're getting killed, your children are getting killed, all your friends are getting killed, and your money is being stolen at the same time. What could be worse than that? Now on top of everything, you go to a trial in Shamaim and may find out that you lost your share to the world to come because you're Mechalel Shabbat. No. What's going to be now? In Hebrew it says, Kereach mikol akivunim. You are bold from both sides. What does it mean, bold from both sides? It's obvious, no? No. Some people, when they lose their hair, they cannot agree with this decree. They, don't, they can't, they don't know. No, 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 no. So what do they do? They grow very long on one side. And they... Borrow. The other side borrow for the time being some air from the right, right side, lend air to the left side. And 
It looks that the person has a nice thick hair, especially if they put all these thick sprays and it stays like this. As long as there's no hurricane, it looks like, you know. <laughs> what happens if you bold on both sides? There's nowhere to borrow from. That's an Israeli expression. I lost from here and I lost from there. I lost my life. I lost my money. I lost this olam, and I lost the next olam. Hey, if I lost this olam. No. In the end, we all die. But to lose the eternal life, that's the killer. Because over there, it's all going to materialize as the, the pure truth. You're now going to see the price that you're going to pay for all the nonsense that you did in this world. And on top of all the nonsense that got you nothing, now you lose your share to the world to come. Imagine, imagine the feeling. <coughs> Try to focus. Sit at home. Sit at home for 10, 20, 30 minutes. And think when you're going to finally be in that moment. Not shalom that I wish you to be in this moment. But just think about the possibility that you're going to be sitting in that moment in a court of heaven and you will find out that that's what's about to happen to you. Imagine the feeling. If you will have this feeling for a few, mi few minutes every day before you start your day, most likely it won't happen to you. You know what I mean? It will wake you up to such a fear that it won't let it happen. The Rabbi Mikots once said something very interesting. He said... A person has to imagine that the Satan that hates us so much, meaning his job is to make us commit sins as much as possible. It's too cold here. The heat doesn't work. So, not to me, you know, I'm always hot. But. So, the Rebbe Mikot said that the Satan, the Satan has to, his job is to, com to make us commit as many sins as possible. That's, his, that's an achievement for him. He's very faithful to his job. And he does it with devotion. And if he makes a person commit a sin, he registers the sin and the time and the date and testify against you in the time in a court of heaven and will execute also the punishment. Kill you from all direction. I tell you what it's like. Sometimes a person is committing white-collar crimes, money laundering, selling drugs, you know, these kind of crimes. The FBI catch him, and they say, you're going to 30 years in prison. 30 years in prison. Unless you give us a lot of other people. If you have information, you know, against other people that we'll be able to convict them, we'll give you a very serious discount. We'll take it to consideration. Instead of 30, we'll recommend the judge to give you two, three years, uh, you know, in a comfortable cell. You be an informer. So what happened now? So he comes to someone, w wired, 
They put wire, recording, video, everything you can think of. And he comes to him and say, hey brother, I have a great deal. Look, look at this bag. Cocaine. It's worth uh, almost a million dollars. You can have it now. The dealer is broke. He needs money urgent. You can get it for half a million. Right now, cash. Really? Serious? Half a million? Yeah, for you, half a million. If you tell me no, that's it. In five minutes, it's going to go somewhere else. I brought the deal to you. You're my friend. Oh, really? Okay, give it to me. Here is, I have some money on me. Take 10,000. Come later, I'll give you the rest. After you gave him the cash, FBI, you're under arrest. So you put a trap in front of a person and make him commit a crime. That's against the Torah. You're not allowed to do it. Right there, you're going against God already. Why? People are weak. We all have weaknesses. If you come and offer someone an easy way to make two, three million dollars, he may never thought about it. And he may never did it in his life or would never do it. But now you put him in such situation, because of you he did it. And now you come and testify against him. Remember, that's the Satan. First he makes you commit the sin. Now he comes and testify against you. The only difference is, over here, the court of United States will execute you. And in Ash by Hashem, the same Satan who put the trap in front of you and testify against you, he is the one who will, will kill you. He's finishing the whole job. In Hebrew, it's called kolboinik. You know what's kolboinik? What's the right word for that in English? Uh, like handyman. What do you do? Everything. You know how to change blinds? Yeah, of course. You know how to fix chairs? Of course. You know how to fix the plumbing? Anything you want. You name it, I'll fix it. That's the Satan. The only problem is that sometimes a person wants to come and put a trap in front of you. He doesn't know what trap will work. Like, for instance, some people, they don't want to touch drugs. No, 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 don't talk to me about drugs. You're crazy. In America, drugs is worse than murder. I don't want to sit 30, 40 years in prison. Don't talk to me about these things. Talk to me about this, about that. Okay, but not this. So it won't work on this guy. But it will work on the other guy. So when you come, you may fail. The FBI said, tough luck. You're going to 30 years. You did not get the guy to buy the drugs. So now you eat your heart that the customer did not fall in a trap. But the Satan always knows what's your weakness. When he comes to you already, he knows that you're money greedy, or if you're not. So maybe if you don't care about money, it's not going to come with money. Ah, what's your weakness? Women, let's go for that. What's your weakness? Drugs, let's go for that. What's your weakness? Honor and uh, you want uh, you know, to be somebody important. Co corruption. All right, let's go for that. We'll offer you some great promotion. He knows what's wrong with you. What's, what's your weakness? He will always use it against you. And that's the nation of Amalek. That's the nation of Amalek. Vaikra Makom Masaum Riva. That's a place the nation of Israel make a demonstration against Hashem and Moshe. Why? Why Masao Meriva? Meriva means fight. Fight. 
על ריב בני ישראל, nation of Israel had a fight with who? All their fights is with Hashem. ועל נשאותם את השם לאמור, and they test Hashem. היש השם בקרבנו עם עין. Can you believe such חוצפה? Remember, this is the people who heard the voice of Hashem. If you hear the voice of God, is it possible that we're going to ask a few years later if there is a God? We, unfortunately, never heard the actual voice of God. Not in this Gilgul. When we were in Mount Sinai, we, we heard, but we don't remember it. We don't remember our past life. But all the Jewish souls were all in Mount Sinai, all of them. Just you don't remember your past life. Okay, fine. But right now, did you hear the voice of God? No. Even though I have hundreds of emails that people write to me like they are God or they are hearing things from God or God told me to tell you. Just this week I got an email from a, from a guy. I, I, my name is such and such. And God told me there are few people in the world only deserve to know this secret. And you were chosen as one of them. It actually makes you feel great. Wow, I'm one of the top ten in the world. <laughs> but then when you read the rest of the email, <laughs> you say, Hashem irachem, poor guy, maybe take him to a barbanel. <laughs> but there are people like this. I hope he won't get angry now when he listens to this lecture now. <laughs> but you know how many people have these symptoms that they think they are God or the Messiah? There's one in Israel, he screams in the streets. Well, everyone get ready! I'm coming to, to save Israel! <laughs> yeah, to see people filming him on the street, screaming. I once had a Shabbaton in Dimona. You know where Dimona is? Next to the nuclear facility. In Dimona, all the way in the north, uh, in the south. There was one guy, beard, black hat, looked perfectly normal, even knows to speak nice words of Torah. You would never believe. Every five minutes he comes to me and say, you know I'm the Mashiach, right? I'm the Mashiach. They all have to understand this. I didn't tell them yet. I'm telling it to you. I, and you cannot believe it. A guy that speaks normal in everything else. He really believes he's the Mashiach. It's some kind of a mental disease called Mashiach disease. Unbelievable. There's thousands of people like this. Jews and non-Jews. <laughs> one, one, uh, two guys, two guys in a mental institution, they, uh, they have to be examined. So they come and ask one of them, why are you here? They don't want to uh, acknowledge the fact that I'm the Messiah. So they put him here, they think I'm crazy. So the other guy said, why are you here? He said, don't believe him, he's a liar. I said, why? I'm Eliyahu Navi, and I never told him that he's the Messiah yet. <laughs> it's written that Elijah will come and inform about the arrival of the Messiah. You understand what's going on? So it's, it reminds me about a joke that in the mental institution they have a swimming pool. But he knows... The summer is over and they drain all the water. So there's no water. 
So now all the, the people that need mental help, they all come and jump into the pool, even though there's no water. This guy break his head, this guy break his arm. And they see one guy sitting on the side, on a high chair, and he, you know, he's looking around and say, oh, hey, this guy's probably the only normal one. Let's go and interview him. Maybe we can get him out of here. We need to clear the place. So they come to him and say, hey, can we ask you a few questions? Yeah, yeah. What, what do you think about all these people over here? They're jumping into the pool, you know, there's no water over here. So well, what can I tell you? He said, but you look normal. You're not, you're not jumping like them. He said, no, I cannot jump. I am the lifeguard. <laughs> I have to see it much. <laughs> Do you understand? All right, let's move on. So, Chazal, Chazal, our sages, in Yalkut Shimoni, in Parashat B'Shalach, they say, Bnei Israel say, is there a God among us? Do you really believe that they ask if there is a God among us? You heard the voice of God. What are you asking now? How can you ask such a question? You saw all the miracles of Egypt? Yes. You saw the split of the Red Sea? Yes. You saw the Egyptians drowning? Yes. You saw manna is falling every day right next to your tent. You collect it. You put it in your mouth and melts immediately. You don't have to go to the bathroom. One week, two weeks, a month. No bathroom. It absorbed into the system. Immediately it digested. No problem, no stomach virus, no constipation, you don't feel heavy, you don't need all the blood to go to the stomach, to break the steak you just ate, none of that. You eat and you stay fresh and light. And you don't need to waste time. Today, bathroom is not a nightmare, but in the old days to go to the bathroom was a serious nightmare. Imagine now you're in a desert, middle of the night, zero degrees, snake and scorpions crawling and you hear them, besides other lions and leopards, and now at 2 a.m. you need the bathroom, and there's no toilet paper, and nothing to flush, and no mirrors, and no marble made in Italy, and no magazines to read, and no Wi-Fi. And now you're stuck at 2 a.m. in the Sahara Desert. What are you going to use? There's no bathroom, no tissue, no Costco, none of this. And it's dark. No light. No light. No full moon. Beginning of the month. No moon. It's a nightmare. Hashem saved them that for 40 years. Then I have to go to the bathroom. Isn't it already the biggest miracle? So how can you come and ask if there is a God or not? In Egypt you needed a bathroom every day. Slave, and you have to go to the bathroom. You ate a little bit. So now you saw that it stopped. You saw all the miracles. You see what's going on. You heard the voice of God in Mount Sinai. What does it mean there is a God among us or not? We have to understand what's behind it. The question is, Chazal say not if there is a God or not. Once you hear the voice of God, you never ask if there is a God or not, right? You heard the voice. You saw, the, you saw on Mount Sinai, the fire on Mount Sinai. The question is, is there is God among us in such a level that he knows everything we think or not? Does he read our mind or no? Why would you ask such a question? 
Why would you ask such a question? Huh? What brings a person to think is God knows what's on my mind or he doesn't know? Does he read my mind or not? By the way, angels, can they read your mind or no? The Gemara say no. They can't. That's why if you want to go and do a good mitzvah, like turning the heat on, so you don't have to say it loud. Why? Because if you say it loud, the Satan will distract your mind. Because you will say, oh, I'm going to learn Torah. Oh, you're going to learn? Flat tire. Ice on the driveway. Your car is skidding and he hit one of the cars on the sidewalk. And what happened? Now you have to wait, tow truck. That's it. The learning is gone. The question is, do it. Once you do it, the Satan doesn't know where you go. What you say. Why? Because you don't say. If you say it loud, immediately he's beginning to prepare how to prevent you from doing it. So, better never to say the good things you're about to do. But with Hashem, one of the 13 principles of Judaism, Hashem reads your mind. He knows the future also. And we have verses in the Torah that proves that. That Hashem told them what's going to happen and happen. Verses in the Torah. For instance, Hashem say, I'm going to take you to the Holy Land. I will kick the seven nations out of there. Right? Torah codes we found out only in this generation. But I'm talking about things that are already happened in front of their eyes. I will take you to the land of Israel. And I would throw the goyim out of there. And uh, it happened. Even though it was against all odds that something like this can happen. Seven massive armies of different nations sitting in the holy land. And you come with children and women and you will kick them out? What are the odds? And it happened. So not only he knows the future, he designed the future. If you design the future, then you for sure have control of what's going to happen. There's hundreds of hundreds of examples like this. Thousands in the Tanakh. No question about it. Like King David asked Hashem, I'm running away from Shaul, King Saul. I would like to run to the city of Ke'ila with Ain. Kuf, Ain, Yud, Lamed, Hey, Ke'ila. Will they turn me into the hands of Shaul? Hashem said they will. He knows the future. So, there are many examples, like I said. So, he knows the future and he also reads your mind. So, why they ask such a question? And what's, why it right away caused the arrival of Amalek? Cause of this demonstration in Masao Merivah, Immediately after that, Vayavo Amalek Vayilachem Im Israel Berefidim. Refidim is the name of a place. Why they call it Refidim? It comes from the word Rafu. What's Rafu? Weak. Your hands become weak. Can't lift the bottle even. You lost your energy. That's it. Cannot talk, cannot move, cannot get up from the chair. Rafu Yedehem. Every time you become weak in Avodat Hashem, serving Hashem and His commandments, Amalek arrives. That's routine, like this. Now comes the next thing. 
Hashem supposed to answer them if there is a God among them or not. How will he do it by bringing Amalek? Remember, everything Hashem does is the most brilliant solution to anything that happened. Meaning, if that's what happened to you, that means it could never be anything better than that. I know you always think that you can suggest some ideas to Hashem that he could have made the world better, especially your world. But he knows better than you, and he takes to consideration every possible thought that you ever thought or did not think. Hashem already took it to consideration, calculated trillions of possibilities, and he decided that that's what you should get. So from all the possibilities, after this demonstration, after asking is there is a God, what's the solution? Amalek. The Nazis are showing up, cruel, who murder children and women, has no mercy to anyone. Out of nowhere, they show up with the horses. And the war begins. How does it relate to the question, is there God among us or not? The Torah continues. Remember, it's supposed to be the answer. Where is the answer? The Torah continues. The Torah says... והיה כאשר ירים משה ידו וגבר ישראל וכאשר יניח ידו וגבר עמלק When the hands of משה are high the Jews are winning When his hands get tired and he brings his hand down עמלק is winning on and off You punch them, you kill some of them, Moshe's hands fall down, right away they get strength. So what do we learn from here? First, that every battle in every world in the world, when between two soldiers, between two groups, between two armies, every given second is in the hand of God. One second you're winning, you're crushing the soldier, the hands of Moshe, which is nothing to do with the battle, right there in the mountain, became tired, all of a sudden that he was already killed, or almost. He's on the floor. He turns you around, and he becomes a gorilla, and you become a nothing. And Moshe picked up his hand again, and he turns around again. What is going on? Imagine a boxing match between two professional boxers. <laughs> One starts the first round, boom, boom, boom. The guy, the other guy that didn't move. 50 shots to the head, to the, to the chest. It goes like this. Whoa, what kind of a fight is this? He's gonna kill and one more minute he's gonna be dead. Stop the fight, it's not a fair match, right? Imagine out of nowhere, it turns around. The one who killed him, all of a sudden goes like this, and this one starting to kill him. And then he turns around, and he turns around, 20 times. No one would believe it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's definitely a rigged fight. It's a show, it's not a real fight. Anyone would believe that something like this can happen? That's what's happening right now. The Jews are shocked, what's going on? Just a second ago I had him, this Amaleki. I was about to crush his head, this monster. 
All of a sudden, my hands doesn't, do not move. And he became so strong and he flew me like this. What does that have to do with the hands of Moshe? When the Jews saw that the hands of Moshe actually making the war, what happened? They came and picked it up. They hold his hand. If we're going to hold your hands up, we will win non-stop. Isn't it cheating? Apparently not. How do we know it was not cheating? Hashem cooperated with that. Once the hands were held up, the Jews constantly beat them up. If Hashem did not agree with this trick, it wouldn't work. The Amalekim would continue to beat them up. So the goal that Hashem wants to prove to us is that you only will win when the end of Moshe are pointing to the sky, to me. Why? Because everyone now looks up to the mountain to see what's the status of the hands. The hands are up or the hands are down. If the hands are up, I have no fear. There's nothing you can do to me. If the hands are down, that's it, my end. That's what the Gemara said. The Gemara said, The hands of Moshe are making the war. What's going on over here? Right? That's Gemara in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, page 29. Okay, it's hot now. You made your point. Thank you. Hands of Moshe are creating the war. What's going on here? To teach you that as long as the Jewish people were look up to the sky, immediately their hearts surrender to Hashem. There is a God above me. And that's why I'm winning. And if not, immediately they fall. That's the answer that they ask, is there, is, a, is there a God among us or not? You got your answer. You know, I, I once heard, uh, it's, it's, it's maybe a joke, maybe not. Somebody said in one of the, the Torah classes to a guy that was asking too many questions. He said, listen, you have too many questions to God. It's dangerous. Yeah, here and there questions I understand, but we have too many questions, it's dangerous. Why? Because you keep saying no one here can answer my question. No one. So Hashem said, no problem, son. You want? I'll answer your question. He picks you up and takes you out of this world, and over there he's going to answer all your questions. He's going to die. I'll take you over there. Okay, what's your questions? Let's find out. Ask me. You know, many times in the past, Baruch Atah Adonai, Elohim HaMelech HaOlam Shakon Yabidor. Many times in the past, I have cases like this. A woman sends an email. I became religious from your lecture by my husband. He's so stubborn. He does not want to come. He doesn't want. He has so many questions. Nobody can answer his question. I ask him to watch Torah and science. He stopped after five minutes. <coughs> so I said, okay, 
why don't you bring him and I talk to him one-on-one? -on -one? Let's hear all his questions. What do you think? They show up? They never show up. Why? Because they don't have any questions. It's all excuses. As long as the rabbi is not here, they, they are a hero next to their wives. Ah, you don't know anything from your life. They fool you. They brainwash you. Okay, no problem. Come, let's see an argument between you and the rabbi. Maybe you win the argument and you prove to me that you are right, not him. But let's do it. No, I'm going to go now to his lecture, waste my whole evening. No, no, he will come to you. Don't dare to bring him here. <laughs> Why? Because he knows once he's going to sit really in front of the rabbi. Even if he has his stupid questions, he's going to get all his answers. And then he's going to look like the dumbest fool. He never had questions. All he had is excuses. Usually it's all excuses. So the question now, Rabotai, it's written in the Torah, Vaikra Shema Makom Masa Riva. Because they, why, Meriva, we know why. Because it's fight, Riv. Why Masa? What's Masa? Nisayon. They testing Hashem. The Torah says, Lo tenaset Hashem elokecha, you're not allowed to test me. I'm not a test by you. You're not the tester. I am the tester. Imagine now you're going to road test. There is a tester and you are the new driver. And you say to the tester, okay, I want to know how much you know about driving. What's this triangle over there? Tell me if you know. What's this hand like this? And that's a stop sign, no? It's Hamsa. <laughs> you understand? You test the tester, you know where you find yourself. So the Torah says, Don't have permission. There's only one thing you are allowed to test Hashem. It's always an exception to the rule. One thing Hashem say, I want you to test me. What is it? If you give 10% of your income, you give 10% to charity, you guarantee to become wealthy. This, I allow you to test me. I will open the sky to you and bring you so much blessing, more than you can imagine. There's a car blocking. I, I will bless you in such way that you will, will, not, will not believe how much you have. Why? Only for one reason. What reason? You gave constantly 10% of all your income. Some say it has to be 20%. In order to get that blessing, it has to be Chomesh. Chomesh. Why? Because it says in the Pasuk, Aser te Aser. Aser te Aser. Duplication. What does it mean, Aser te Aser? Two times ten percent. Machloket aposkim. So minimum ten percent. Maximum twenty percent. If you're very rich, meaning multimillionaire, billionaire, whatever, there's no limit. You can give even ninety percent. You still have plenty of money left to live and to support your family. If you're an ordinary person, 10 to 20 percent. If you're someone in the size of Warren Buffett or Bill Gates, 
can give billions of dollars to tzedakah, and you're still going to have more. By the way, they calculated Elon Musk and uh, the guy from Amazon, what's his name? Bezos and Bill Gates. Since COVID started, do you know how much money they make every second? Every second. $15,000 every second. Multiply it in the last two years. Do you understand what it means? An average American work four to five months to make $15,000. People make 40, 40 50,000 a year, right? So, an entire year to make 40,000, and he make it in three seconds. Like this. One, two, three. For you, 12 months with an arrogant, nasty, cruel boss on your head. Hey, you didn't do what I told you. All day like this on your head, 40,000 the end of the year. That's with all the <laughs> checks that Sleepy Joe sent <laughs> from time to time. 500 here, 1,000 there. All together, 45. He made it in three seconds. So now I want to ask you a question. When you live like this, you go like this. Oh, 60,000. <laughs> What would you do with this money? It's actually intimidating. <laughs> I don't want to drown. <laughs> what happened? I'm going to drown. It's too much. Niagara Falls of money comes. Stick! Stick! Too much! So all day you want to write checks. That's what they do. What do you think they do? They give billions of dollars charity. Warren Buffett once said that the secret to his success is, is the charity. So, that's what the Torah says. If you count on me and you give, I guarantee to give you much more than what you give. But anything else, you're not allowed to test Hashem. That's why the place called Masa Umeriva to remind everyone what happened in this place. You tested me and you fought with me. And it remains forever. Okay, and what happened? Amalek came. Amalek came. Now, Abotai, it's written in a, in a Midrash, Shmot Rabba. It says like this, Ma Meriva What was the fight over there? They say, If God reads our mind, we have no choice. We have to serve him. <laughs> Cannot, we can never fool him. He, doesn't know what's on, he knows what's in our mind. So we can never uh, surprise him. If someone doesn't read your mind, you come to give him a hug and boom, you give him a punch and kill him. Why? He couldn't read your mind. But if he reads your mind, before you move, he stab you. He's prepared for you. There's nothing you can surprise him. If he reads our mind, we have to surrender. If not, we'll find a way to get rid of him. You believe what's going on here? Hashem say, you want to test me? 
no problem, we'll do it the way you chose. What? Vayavo Amalek, and Amalek came. Why Amalek came right when they came out of Egypt? Cannot wait. First war out of Egypt is Amalek. It just came out. You just heard what happened to the Egyptians. The biggest empire in the world are crushed on their knees. You are nothing compared to them. How do you come to fight this nation at the top of their glory? They will wipe you out. Of course, they'll wipe me out. But I'm going to cause them a damage. That's worth it for me. This ideology is the ideology of the Muslim murderers, terrorists. Hamas, Hezbollah. What's the problem? Ten of us will die and will kill with us five Jews. It's an honor to die killing a Jew. I'll explode on a bunch of Jews. I will drive into the, into the bus stop, kill five of them, and then the police are going to shoot me. The soldiers there, they're going to shoot me and kill me on the spot. I know I'm going to die. What's the question? They come to the soldiers in, a, in, a, in a one of the highways. You know, the soldiers, they check the cars. He runs with a knife, and there's ten soldiers with guns there. He's going to stab one, and the other ones will shoot and kill him. You know, I'm about to die in a minute. But I'm going to stab one Jew. This is the ideology of Amalek. Chazal are giving a perfect example of it. Chazal say, he is willing to jump into a boiling bath, boiling, bubbling bath, to get burned, but to cool the water. The water is the nation of Israel. You know, when you take a piece of metal and you throw it into a boiling bath, what happened to the metal? The metal was very cold. It becomes boiling now. If you hold it, you're going to burn your hands because it absorbs all the heat. But now the temperature of the water went down 10 degrees or 20 because this piece of metal co cooled the water. That's Amalek. I'll die I'll suffer, I'll be wiped out by God, as long as I bring the Jews down. That's the story of Amalek, and that's why Hashem hates them so much. That's why Hashem told all the Jews, do not start a fight with the Goyim. You know, everyone gets his respect. But Amalek, it's a different story. As long as they are in the world, I will never reach the perfect status as long as they are alive. That's why it's mitzvah to wipe them out. So in that case, if that's such a big mitzvah, this mitzvah are gone more than 2,000 years ago already. You cannot do it today. Because you don't know who is Amalek. Who is Amalek? The Nazis? Probably. But can you know for sure? No, you don't know. You see a German man. Or a woman. You know that they're 100% linked to Amalek for 2,500 years ago? No. You don't know for sure. You don't know all the family story, genealogy of this German. He could have been 10 generations ago an Arab. 
An Arab went to Germany, married a German woman, and then the rest, this, this guy came to the world. His father was an Arab, a grandfather. And he's a German. There's nothing to do with Amalek. He's Ishmael, not Amalek. Or the other way around. Could be an Arab that is Amalek. You think he's Ishmael, but he's Amalek. Why? Ten generations ago, right? A German Amaleki went to Syria. And ten generations later, they have Arab grandchildren. And they're all Amalekim. But they speak Arabic. There's no way to know. Especially there was a bad, cruel king. His name was Sancheriv. He made such a mess in the world with wars and everybody ran around and the Goim were running from each other that they, all the Goim got mixed. You don't know anymore about the Goim which Goy belongs to what nation? You don't know. You don't really know. On the Jews, you know. For instance, if you're a Kohen, and your father was a Kohen, your grandfather was a Kohen, and his father was a Kohen, you know you're from the family of Aaron and Moshe, from Shevet Levi. If you are a Kohen, you know you're not going to be the Mashiach. You're not going to be the Messiah. Right? Because you're not from the family of King David. If you're Levi, you know from what family you're coming. So there is a little way to know. Not the rest of the Jews don't know. They don't know what tribe they are, or where they came from, what country. There's no way to know. So Rabotai, let's read what it says here. It says, Amalek was the first one to come to revoke the nation of Israel. The Baalea Tosafot, this is what they say. We find in the Midrash that Esav made his son Eliphaz. He had a son, Eliphaz, to kill Yaakov. He made him swear, kill Yaakov. But Yaakov was his rabbi. Yaakov was his uncle and his rabbi. Imagine your, your uncle, your uncle, the brother of your father, is also your rabbi in yeshiva. All the Torah you know came from your uncle. And he's a good man righteous man, and your father hates him. Why? Your father is wicked, Rasha. And he cannot stand his religious brother, your uncle. But you are in yeshiva. By the way, there are cases like this in the world. There are actual cases like this in the world. That you have two brothers, one is tzaddik, one is Rasha, and the Rasha has kids in yeshiva. It wasn't that stupid to send them to public school. So he sent them to yeshiva. And it also happened to be that one of the rabbis there was his brother, the religious rabbi. It happens. So Eliphaz has a big conflict now. Who should I listen to? To my father or to my rabbi? Big dilemma. Eliphaz had a concubine. What was her name? Timna. Timna. And uh, he asked her, what do you think? She said, Yaakov, even though Yaakov is a rabbi and is a tzaddik, he's much stronger than you. You think you can kill him? No. Even your father is really afraid of him. Even though your father is a hunter and a fighter and he knows how to hunt, but Yaakov is very strong physically. How do we know Yaakov was strong? 
Torah says he moved there with a stone by himself. Twelve shepherds couldn't move it, and he moved it by himself. Big rock! Very strong. Your father is also afraid of him. So he wants you to do the dirty job. <laughs> but Eliphaz was respecting his father. Asa, by the way, as wicked as he was, there's one thing we can all learn from him. What is it? I don't know about M. I don't know why everybody say Kibud Avaim. Kibud Av for sure. Kibud M? What kind of Kibud M he had? Based on the Torah, I didn't respect his mother at all. His mother wouldn't want him to kill Yaakov. Right? What mother wants her son to kill the brother? That's not Kibud M. If any, he's respecting his father, making him food, hunting for him, shish kebab, you know, prepare for him good meal, stop. He didn't want to go against what he swore to his father. After all, he made him swear, and in the old days when someone swore, he would do everything not to break his word. It wasn't like today, people swear all day and they don't intend to come. They found an easy way out, bli neder. <laughs> so are you coming tomorrow to my wedding? Bezrat Hashem, bli neder. Bli neder. We already know what it means. So, therefore, he came to Yaakov and he said to him, listen, I swore to my father, he made me swear, I couldn't say no. You are my Rebbe, tell me what to do. So Yaakov told him, take everything I have, leave me with nothing. Take all my wealth, my sheep, my cattle, everything. Leave me with one outfit to wear and I'm broke. Once you made me broke, Ani chashuv kemet. Why ani chashuv kemet? Because he cannot fulfill pur his purpose in life. Can't even buy tefillin. Cannot buy mezuzot. Cannot do anything. Cannot buy kosher food. Cannot, basically, 99% of what he wants to do in religion, he cannot do. If someone is so poor and he cannot do anything, cannot buy mezuzot, cannot buy tefillin, cannot bring a moel to circumcise his kids, cannot buy matzot. Today, if you want to buy two pounds of matzot, you need a mortgage. I mean, if he doesn't have good credit, who's going to give him 40 bucks to buy two pounds of matzot? 50 bucks, 70 bucks, depends where you buy. You need a mortgage for that. So, he cannot buy matzot. He has few kids. He has to buy the matzah shmura. Nobody wants to give him a mortgage. He doesn't have a house. They can't put a lien. How they, how they, if, he do, you know, if he doesn't pay back for the matzot, there's, nothing, there's nowhere to collect. He doesn't have a house. So what's going to happen? He cannot fulfill any mitzvah. Nothing. No matzah, no maror, no nothing. No wine. Shabbat doesn't have wine for kiddush. Not halot for amotzi, no money, for nothing. He dies, and he has basically almost no mitzvot. Why didn't put filin? Didn't have money. Why didn't matzah and pesach? Didn't have money. Why didn't buy arbat aminim for you and your children? Didn't have money. Why didn't build sukkah? Didn't have money. It's not lying. He didn't have money. 
Someone like this can go to heaven or no? Basically, he didn't keep anything. He didn't break the law. He didn't break Shabbat. He didn't, didn't go and light fire on Shabbat. He did not sow on Shabbat. He did not write on Shabbat. What he's not allowed to do, he didn't do. But what he had to do, he didn't have money to do. Why don't do this? Don't have money. There are people like this in the world, believe it or not. They don't have money for anything, for electric. They can't pay the bill. Can he go to heaven or no? The answer, yes. How? Half of the Torah I didn't keep. The answer, Anus Rachmana Patre. If you want to do something good and you don't have the means to do it, account like you did it. That's a great way. One guy will build sukkah, walk three days with his children to decorate it, to make it strong, and sit in a sukkah. He got mitzvah of sukkah. Danny sits in across the street in a park under his blanket. Homeless. No, no money for sukkah. He's staring at him. He's sleeping in his sleeping bag. No sukkah. Doesn't have to build. He got the reward like he sat in a sukkah. Arbat Aminim doesn't have to go to the market to choose with a magnifying glass, the etrogim, the lulavim. Doesn't have all this. Don't have money. Like this. Lela Seder. I cannot buy matzot. No matzot. I eat carrots. Potatoes. What? No matzah. No matzah. No mitzvat matzah. What? I get it anyway. What's the problem? Easy way out, no? So why it say Ani Chashuv Kemet? So he cannot fulfill the mitzvot, but it counts like he did it anyway, and he get the credit for it. If someone told you, I want you to come work 10 hours today in a shop, and you say, I'm sorry, I have COVID. I cannot come. So, okay, don't come, feel better, and he pays you anyway like you can. So who's luckier? You that lay in bed with a good chicken soup, or Hati, watching a good lecture, enjoying the Torah, and get paid 200 bucks like you came to work, and your friend who's healthy, work like a dog in a supermarket, collecting boxes all day, running to people's car, and also got $200. Who's luckier? The one that worked, or the one who lay in a warm blanket, enjoy the heat, Huh? Who's luckier? So why Ani Chashuv Kemet? You hear the question or no? No? What do you think? <laughs> you bring a good point, but it's not relevant. I'll tell you why. Because what we suffer to receive a free gift is physical gift, not spiritual. Meaning, I don't have food to eat, and you came and gave me food. I'm embarrassed that I have to live off people's mercy. It's embarrassing me. I would rather work and earn the money and buy the food than someone who comes bring me food like a homeless. That's obvious. But if I have now two ways to earn one hour of davening, to actually get up in the freezing morning, 7 a.m., go to the synagogue, 
send an hour there and pray, or to lay in bed in a warm room like this and get the hour of davening anyway. Will I be embarrassed? No. I will feel very lucky. I got a full hour reward of praying, even though I lay down in a nice heat. You understand? Serut nefesh is a different thing, but I'm not going to be embarrassed if I got one hour of davening without actually doing it. Very nice, great bonus. The more mitzvot I get, the better it is. Let's say it bothers you. It bothers you in what way? Not in shame. If you're such a tzaddik that you enjoy davening, then you're right. Then they take away your pleasures. You suffer. If you are Bia Kovades, you're right. If you the tzaddik from Monsi, Rav Mordechai Steiner, you know Rav Mordechai Steiner? You have to come see him. One time you see him, you understand what I'm talking about. If you tell Rav Mordechai Steiner one day you won't daven, I don't know if you would want to live another day. Because that's his life, all day to stand and cry to Hashem. But uh, we're not exactly, not Rav Ades, and not Rav Kuk, and not Rav Moshe Malka, and not Rav Mordechai Steiner, and some other big tzaddikim who love to learn with such passion to Hashem. So those who the davening for them is a burden, if Hashem would come and say, okay, son, listen, I see how hard it is for you to get up, to come to shul, to stand for an hour every day. From now on, here, you got it, here, take it. It counts like you daven all year. No problem, don't have to worry. I believe something inside me tells me that at least 70% of us will actually take the get out of davening <laughs> ticket and uh, adapt it. By the way, you should know that's very, that's very foolish what I'm saying here. Because the concept of davening is, davening is not, oh, you know what, come work out and I pay you for your effort. That's not how it works. Davening means I'm doing you a favor. We have a meeting every day. You come to me and you talk to me and you tell me what you need. And you do it in a proper way, like the Chachamim made, and it will help your life. You don't have a child, you may get a child thanks to that. You don't have money, you may get money. You don't have health, you may get health. There's a lot of good things that will come to your life thanks to this. So you think you're doing me a favor? I'm actually doing you a favor for allowing me to pray. For allowing, allowing you to pray. I'm doing you a favor. Let's just finish it before I forget. So Yaakov said to him, leave me with nothing. And he left him with nothing. And what did Yaakov do? He, left, he stayed with his underwear. Because his clothes had the value. You have to leave him to be completely poor. Completely. If you have a $200 suit, you're not completely poor. He leaves him with nothing. Underwear worth 50 cents, a dollar, I don't know. That's it. It's poor, according to all opinion. What are you going to do? Our a righteous man from the royal family of Avram and Yitzchak is going to walk with underwear on the street. So the biggest shame. So what did he do? Immediately went into the water. The water comes up to your chest. Nobody sees you. And now, I need the clothes. I'm going to start calling Hashem. Hashem, I just lost everything I had. I need, what do I need? I, 
urgent, I need something to wear. What happened five minutes later? A body of a soldier is floating. Some soldier drowned or died. He took off his clothes. He dressed now like a goy soldier. Robin Hood. Robin Hood. Puts his hat, puts his uniform, and where is he going now from here? To his first date. He's going to meet the parents of the Kala. He's showing up in the house of Lavan. Hi, who is there? Your nephew. Who, my nephew? Yeah, Yaakov. He open, he see Robin Hood. <laughs> Think about that. Hi, how are you, uncle? Nice to... Who are you? You sure? Where are you from? Ma, you're my uncle, ma. You don't know? It's a big thing. Now he has the nerve to ask for Rachel. I want to marry your daughter. Something like this sounds like a fairy tale. Why are you dressed like a, like a soldier? What, you joined the Israeli army or what? You came from the Marines? No, I got robbed. By who? By my student from Yeshiva, the son of Esav. Ah, Esav. You should have said it first. All right, come, we'll give you something to wear. No? Finally, what are you going to do? You have a job? No. You have a college degree? You went to university, something? Who's going to feed you if you don't have education? All right, listen, you're not educated. You're going to take care of the sheep. That's how it was. 20 years later, Yaakov became very wealthy again. After he left, he had a lot of sheep. That's the story. When Eliphaz saw that in reality he didn't do what his father told him. But he cannot go now against what he already did to Yaakov. So what did he do? He called his grandson. Who was his grandson? Amalek. Now you know the history of why Hashem hates them so much. He called his grandson and he said to him, I want you to go kill Yaakov. Swear to me you'll do it. And Amalek swore. Right? But who woke up again? The Pilegesh of Eliphaz. What's her name? Timna. Timna. And she said to him, I'm warning you. Same way she warned his grandfather Eliphaz. I'm warning you. We're not going to be strong enough for him. But he ignored her. So Timna told him, there is another reason why you should not do it. Avraham, his grandfather, Yaakov's grandfather, God told him in the Brit Ben Abetarim, in a covenant, you should know that your children will be slaves in a foreign country and they will torture them for 400 years. If you're going to kill Yaakov, you are going to be the one with your children that will have to go to Egypt, you fool. It's your best interest to keep him alive. Why? He's going to be a slave and you'll be free. Wow, thank you. How didn't I think about it? 
So when the nation of Israel came out of Egypt, meaning the curse is over, it's not going to come on me. Now I have to keep what I promised my father. You understand? The secret here. That's why they couldn't wait a second. Soon as they found out that the nation of Israel came out of Egypt, it's time to keep the swear of our father Amalek. This is his children now, the whole nation. That's the secret of Amalek. Time is running out. The Gemara in Masechet Ta'anit, page 11, the Gemara says, the hands of Moshe are heavy. It's an old man. Hard to keep the hands up. They put a rock and put it underneath to, that for him to sit. Why they need him to sit? First, it's going to be easier for him. Well, he's going to stand for hours. It's not easy to stand. But it's easy for them to hold his hands up when he's sitting. They don't have to lift their hands. Because if he's standing and, and they have to pick up his hands, they have to stand on the tip of, their, of the toes. When you sit and your hands are this, they stand. They just hold your hands like this. But now the Gemara is going to teach us another lesson. Every word in the Torah is a lesson for life. Remember this. Every word. The Gemara says, When the public is in sorrow and pain, they suffering, pandemic, financial crisis, war, war, hurricane, Tsunami, Sleepy Joe. It's a lot of different tragedies in life. A person should not say, let me go home and eat and drink and I can care less about the world. I have my money. I have my beautiful home. Everyone around me suffer. Let me be home for a few weeks, enjoy, relax, sit in my jacuzzi, barbecue some fish. And everyone around, man, I'm gonna be the babysitter of the whole world. Shalom alaych nafshi. It's not my concern. Sheken matzinu be Rabbeinu. We found with Moshe Rabbeinu that when he saw the public is suffering, he ran and joined them. When was the first time he did it? He was a prince. Prince in the palace of Paro. He see the Jews fighting and, and walking and getting beaten up. He ran to help them. Push here, pick up over there. What are you doing? You're the prince. No, no, I want to help him out. I want to help him out. And now again, the nation of Israel He's in a war with Amalek. He's holding his hand as much as he can. He suffers. The hands are very, very painful. Why? I cannot sit and lay down when they go to a war. Cannot be. 
the Gemara say, what was the real suffering? Not just the hand, because in the end they held his hand. There's no more suffering. The suffering was that he was sitting on a hard rock. Try to sit on a rock for an hour, see what happened to you. In Tisha B'Av, we sit on those stools, plastic stools. One hour davening, your back hurt the whole day, and other places. Why? It's not comfortable. So what everyone does, bringing pillow and another pillow, something to lean on. I'll never, I'll never forget, I had one time right here in Ocean Parkway, in Flatbush, 20 years ago. Actually, to be precise, 22 years ago. I had the longest lecture in the history of the Jewish nation. No, no, literally. No joke. No exaggeration. Unless you know of someone who made a longer lecture than 12 hours. I started the lecture at 8 p.m. and finished at 7.30 a.m. 11 and a half hours straight. No, it's 22 years ago. There's no recorders, no nothing. They didn't have, we didn't have CDs back then even. It was primitive days. We had video cassettes like these big ones. The lecture started at 8, finished at 7.30, but it was straight. 11 and a half hours with no break. And it was 50 Israelis and Americans mix, all that speaks Hebrew. Why I remember that now? Because half of them did not have chairs. There was not enough chairs. It's an apartment. How many people here? I don't have 50 seats. So 25 of them sat on the floor, leaning on the wall all night. Secular people, Rabotai, secular. We, we complained about one hour in Tisha B'Av on a stool. They actually sat on the floor, wood floor, in the apartment there in Brooklyn, leaning on the wall. 11 and a half hours, and I promise you, now one person got up and left the entire night. When I came out of the house, <laughs> I saw Sun in Ocean Parkway. Sunny, bumper to bumper, towards Manhattan. First time in my life I came out of a lecture in a sunny weather. They sat 11 and a half hours all night. Everybody became religious now. Everybody. And there were some big shots over there. Among them, the biggest DJ in New York. The biggest Mahti Arabi. He was a DJ in Lamlight. Lam was the biggest club in Manhattan in those days. This was a DJ. They used to take him with a private jet from state to state. One night he's in Puerto Rico. One night he's in Miami. Paying him thousands of dollars a night back then to be a DJ. Besides his job here in Manhattan. Thousands of people come to his parties because he makes all these, you know, these big records like this, you know, all this nonsense. Young guy, 20 years old, 21, 20. Famous DJ already. Big shot. So, how, why did I make the lecture? It was in his father's house. Because I already took that DJ out of being a DJ and brought him to our yeshiva in Monsi. So he stopped being a DJ. So his father went crazy. He has a golden rooster. You know, he, he, he gives a lot of golden eggs. All of a sudden, 
this annoying rabbi kidnapped him and took him to Monzi. What is he going to do now? He, was, he had a career, he would be a millionaire, whatever. So he didn't leave him alone. And this guy was, you know, a fragile soul. So my father doesn't leave me alone. He threatened to come to Monsi and take me back. I say to him, tell your father we want to make a lecture in his own house. <laughs> his own apartment. I said, we'll kill two bears with one stone. And that's how this lecture came. And he's made phone calls. He got all people that he knew. He's a famous guy. He could, if there was room in the apartment, he could have bought 500 people. No room. It's an apartment. He bought 50 people, and that, that was a night, that, unbelievable night. By the way, I almost got murdered that night. <laughs> I was one second from getting a knife to my heart. But someone... <laughs> It's very interesting that how Hashem arranged it, that the person who jumped at me with a knife or a fork, whatever it was, next to him Hashem put a guy, big, I don't know if he was fat or masculine or white, what he, big hands, that he was able to sit on the couch next to the guy. The guy got up with a knife or the fork, was about to jump at me, and he was still sitting, the big guy. As he sits, he grabbed him like this, he's standing and he's sitting. You know, it's very hard to grab someone who's about to jump at someone and pull him, boom, like this, back to the couch. And he started to scream, Shepa Sheket! <laughs> Sit and be quiet! You cannot handle the truth. You promised that you're going to listen. <laughs> what a moment he was. If you want to know why he wanted to kill me after the lecture, I'll tell you. After, yeah. Benji knows the answer, he can tell you. I told him only the truth, but people, when they discover their situation, they're not happy about it. By the way, in Israel, it's a common thing. The doctor tells you that you need a surgery or you're very sick. What do you do? Break a chair on his head. It happens all the time. Or if they say, yeah, you need a surgery, but we are booked three months. We have no day appointment to give you. Why? I'm going to die by then. We have to hope that you won't. Well, two minutes later, somebody comes from his family. You the doctor here? Write him next week sir, uh, a surgery. Write next week. Uh, sir, there's, a, there's an order here. Go over there and schedule a date. Next week, I said, why don't you understand? This is Israel. Grab the chair. Are you going to sign him for next week or I have to make it clear to you? No, come down. But sometimes they don't come down. The next thing, he throw the chair in his face. Police, security, every week you hear about it. Why? People are too emotional. They can't control themselves. What? His brother's going to die. Forget it, I'll kill you before he dies. Here in America, I heard this worst thing. They pull a gun. <laughs> Make sure he doesn't die. I even heard that some doctors perform surgeries with their gun pointed to the head. My father died, you get a bullet to your head. Make sure he wakes up. <laughs> Italian mafia sits in a room with a gun like this. Make sure he doesn't die. If he dies, <laughs> you and your whole family dies. 
go and mess with them in little Italy. That's how it used to be, Rabotai. Let's just finish this. So Moshe is sitting on a rock. It's hard. An old man sitting on a rock like this. The Gemara said they couldn't put a pillow. Why don't you put a pillow for the chief rabbi? Why are you letting him sit on a rock? It hurts for hours. The answer, of course, they offered him a pillow. Who, who wouldn't do such thing? Every old man, even not your rabbi, that would have to sit on a rock, you said, let me look for a nice pillow that you can sit on, that you don't suffer, right? So obviously Moshe didn't want to sit on a pillow. Why? They are suffering, and I will also suffer. So from here, we learn that if every one of your brothers and your sisters are suffering, join them in a suffering. Everybody mourning Tisha B'Av, join the mourning. Funeral of someone from the community, join the funeral. Don't run away. Participate with the public, with the tzibur. Call a poresh mina tzibur. If you cut yourself out of the public when it's not comfortable for you to participate, Hashem is punishing a person all midah keneged midah. But we have a question about it. The question is, a person that the problem has nothing to do with him. Let's say there is a funeral of some family in town. Nothing to do with me. I'm not a part of that family. They mourn the death of their father. I have to sit Shiva with them. I have to go to every funeral in town. I have to participate in their shloshim. Ah, there's no end to it. Same way I don't have to go to every wedding in town. I don't have to go to every funeral in town. Right or wrong? If a group of people lost a lot of money in a bad investment and they stand by the, by the place, by the court, and they're all screaming, some corrupted thief, and I wasn't uh, one of the investors, I have to go and stand there all day and scream? You understand what I'm saying here or no? Amalek is fighting against the nation of Israel. Moshe is a part of the nation of Israel. He himself is in trouble. It's not that he participates with the nation of Israel, meaning it's not my problem, it's your problem, but I will participate with your problem. No! Moshe is a part of the nation of Israel. It's just an old man. There were other old people that didn't know their fight. And they sat at home and read Tehillim. Or pray to Hashem that we win the war, no? Because when there is a war of your country, whether you're a soldier, whether you sit at home uh, seven years old, you cannot fight, you pray to Hashem that, you, that your country will win the war, no? So how do you learn that Moshe participate with the group that are in trouble... And you should learn from him also to show empathy. Do you understand the question here or no? Rav Moshe Feinstein He says, Moshe was a part of Israel. But he had no chance to die. He's secure. Because Hashem already told him what he's going to do and, you know. 
is a part of the is a main player in Hashem plans. So there's no chance he's going to die with from Amalek, because Hashem already told Moshe that you know he has to give them the Torah and they, you know. So Moshe knows what does it have to do with me? I'm secure. So, because Moshe did not have anything to be afraid of, right? Automatically, he may have said, let me go home, hope for the best, but, you know, I don't have to, sit, to be in a battle and hold my hands or to do anything like that. So, that's one answer. The second answer is, Moshe sent Yoshua to choose people to fight against Amalek. Yoshua was the minister of, uh, of defense, the head of the army. So, and Moshe himself was praying. So Moshe is a part of the nation of Israel. Why? Because everyone who fights right now, right? Everyone who fights right now, their life depends on, who, on whom? On him. First of all, he's the one who sent them to the war. If they die, it's his fault. I sent him to die. I once told you the story that my, my father, Alava Shalom, his oldest brother passed when he was 17 years old. Who sent him to the war? Menachem Begin. Menachem Begin, Alava Shalom, was the Prime Minister of Israel. Back then he was the head of the Etzel. There was no Israel yet, it's 1947. When the Arabs found out that the Jews are about to declare that they're going to make Israel a state, they went crazy. The Arabs live with the Jews relatively in peace. You know, Arab here, one family Jewish, one family Arab, Tel Aviv, Ramle, everywhere, together. It wasn't like today, wars, this. Once the Arabs found out that the Jews are about to declare Israel as a state, they turned... 180 degrees and a war started. Neighbors that used to put your children by them babysit came to kill you. Just like now happened in Lud. Remember in Lud now a few months ago? People that live with you in the same building, in the elevator, you see them every day. You borrowing things from them. You knock on the door, Ahmed, can you give me an Amir? Tomorrow Ahmed come to you. Do you have milk? Neighbors in the same building came with a gun and started to shoot you in the parking lot. Big shock. Wow. He was sitting, drinking coffee in my living room, this Ahmed. And now he comes in the parking lot and shoots at me. And then demonstrate, kill all Jews. So, what happened? There was no soldiers. They needed the parents to agree to send their kids. 17 years old, it's not a soldier, but who, who else is going to go? Everybody who could hold a gun and then... So yeah, so my grandfather, his name was also Yosef. He agreed to send him, and he sent him, and he fought in Ramle. Ramle. And he died. And after that, my grandfather never came out of bed until he died. That's it. He broke his heart. All his life, he was all day laying in bed, not going anywhere, all day crying, I should have died, not him. And, and Menachem Begin was also crying so much for taking him to the war. I sent him to the war. He was suffering a lot 
that some of these kids that he took to the war, it wasn't his war, it was the war of Israel. But because he took them from their families and took them to the war and some of them died, he felt so guilty that every year he used to come to their yard site. Every year he used to come, he never forgot them. He was a very, very ethical person, very ethical, very honest, very... Mamash amazing midot he had. He was Shomer Shabbat also, which is very rare among these Zionists to be a Shomer Shabbat. So you feel guilty. If you recruit a soldier, even you recruit someone to the FBI and you send him on a mission and he gets killed, he kills you. You feel guilty all your life. Family is broken because maybe I should have not sent him. You know how it is. So Moshe sent them to the war. You ask Yeshua to pick them and go to the war, but eventually it's Moshe's decision. He has to pray for them. His prey may save their life or not. Obviously it's a part of the problem. But Moshe said, I have to torture myself even more than what they are. Why? Because it's not enough that I will be just like them in a suffering. I have to suffer more. Why? Because I'm the one who actually sent them to the war. Meaning I'm more responsible to them than they themselves. And that's how we learn from this. One last thing. I wanted to read to you the words of Rav Victor Miller and we'll finish here. The words of Rav Victor Miller in a, on a parasha is like this. He says that Ve'eshiv becha et kol madve mitzrayim asher yagorta mipneem if you're not going to listen to me, it's in Deuteronomy 28, verse, uh, verse 60. It's hard enough. I mean, over here it's extreme, extreme crowd. Either it's Siberia or it's, what's the hardest place in the world? Sahara, Dubai. Dubai? Dubai? Sahara. <laughs> I say in the world. Yeah, no, yeah. No, it's because David made himself a cup of tea. We all get cooked. Huh? Tov. So it says that uh, if you're not following my instruction and you're not going to live by my book, I will send to you all the tragedies that I gave the Egyptians that got you very scared while you were in Egypt. Got me scared? Got the Egyptians scared? Why got me scared? The answer, and that's going, that's going to be the words of the giant Chacham. The giant Chacham, Rabbi Victor Miller, every one of his words is a treasure. Treasure. He's the most accurate one in everything. Everything he says, you always see, Mamash Hashem speaks from his mouth. I say, why does Hashem strike on the Goim? When the Goim do something terrible, they get their punishment. The Goim also have reward and punishment. They also have uh, free will. And they also have a test. They have to keep the seven laws of Noah. They have to be decent. They cannot be animals. If they would choose to be animals, they would be punished like animals. 
don't have to tell you the end of the animals. So that's one reason why the Goyim suffer. Earthquake here, hurricane there, tsunami there, war over there, financial crisis, you know. But there is another reason. What the Torah say. Every time you see I attack the Goyim, it's for one reason. What is it? For you to see and learn. That could have been you. If you're not getting scared, you are not fulfilling your obligation. Your obligation is when I strike Iran with 10,000 dead in an in a earthquake, you, you in Israel should have seen and think, imagine if it was us. Are we better than them? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. What happened if 10,000 will die by us in five seconds? Earthquake. And when we got buildings will fall, this chaos. Does any guarantee? So that's for us right away to start praising Hashem and thanking Him and making and doing tshuva. Victor Miller continues and he says like this. It's in the book of Isaiah 43, verse 3, it says, I am your God, right? Your God. Kedosh who do I sacrifice under you? Natati kofrecha mitzrayim. Instead of punishing you, I take your punishment and give it to your enemies. I always wonder, when I was a kid, when my mother was angry at me, you know, Persian mother, the Persian have a lot of interesting expressions. You know, you can fill up a book like that with the expressions the Persian have. And very interesting. Some of them are actually very clever. Some of them you need to sit for a few hours to try to understand the one who made it up, what was on his hand. Maybe he drank a little bit, but some of them are very clever. But I never understood. I was a kid, and she say, all the time she wanted to curse me, she says she cares Yasser Arafat. <laughs> Say it should be kapara under you, meaning she wanna curse me, but she's not gonna curse me. So every time I did something wrong, who got the curse in Machimo, the Nazi Arafat? <laughs> meaning you really deserve to get this. She got angry at what I used to do. But what am I gonna wish you something bad? You're my son. So what you should get will go to him. I was thinking to myself, what is she's in Mebalbeletamoach, you know? <laughs> What's going, what you deserve to get should go to his head. In the end, he went to his head. <laughs> but now I see that there is a source for it in the Torah. When the Jews repent because of fear, the punishment remains. It cannot be cancelled. Who is it going to? To Arafat. 
to paro, to other enemies of the Jews. Unbelievable. You, you actually achieve two things over here. You get saved, and at the same time you transfer it to your biggest enemy. And it's a clear verse. Rabotai, Rabbi Victor Miller brings it here. Natati kofrecha mitzrayim. This is words by words from his, from his tape. Ashomimatem. Do you listen? The strikes, the plagues came to Egypt instead of to the Jewish nation. There were repentance for us, kapara, redemption. The, unbelievable. I push someone under you to receive it. I move you and put him instead. Do you understand what's going on, Rabotai? When you find that the city in China was flooded, why do Hashem flood China? The Chinese will repent? The Chinese recognize God? Most of them are idol worshippers. They bow down to idols. Most of them are atheists. They don't believe in anyone. And many of them are Christian, which is also idol worshipping. At least they know there is a God. They just think he has a son or whatever. Either way, they're all idol worshippers. All Chinese. Either they are atheists, meaning they don't believe in anything, communist, anti-God. I don't know what's worse. The Chinese that don't believe in anything, just communism, no God, no nothing, dictator, nobody makes a beep, don't get me angry. Mao Zedong. Or a Christian Chinese. You know, he, while he eats the, ra the rats, in between he prays to JC. Dear Father, Father JC, where are you? Why you don't come to Beijing? You know? He believes there's a God because he thinks God has a son or, you know, or partner, whatever. Which one is worse? Some communist bully doesn't, does not believe in anything, just power and army and dictatorship. No God, no religion is allowed. It's against the law. Or the other one who come to a church and pray to J.C. Penny to help him. Or the third one, who bow down to Buddha, makes a nice statue with gold and all these colors, invest a million dollars in this stupid statue, right, with design and this, and pray to the, to the medal. Which one of the three is worse? <laughs> Which one of the three God hates the most? Are they all the same, or one of them is worse than the others? It's a good question. What's better to be? Nothing is good. But what is not as bad? To be an idol worshipper or to be an atheist? Uh, oh, the answer is, I already told you hundreds of times, there's no such thing as an atheist. An atheist means a mentally ill person. Meaning, a person that said this bottle was made by a, a random explosion. Obviously, it's not normal, right? So an atheist is much worse than someone who said that the bottle was made by itself. 
Because he claimed the whole world was made by itself and nothing is supervised and all the galaxies move by themselves and they don't collide with each other and everything is beautifully round and everyone has a, a beautiful track and they all move in the same speed. And he said all of that was made by a random explosion or billions of random explosions or somehow created such a world. That's a super, super, not idiot. Idiot is a compliment for him. It's complete empty head. The answer is there's no one person in the world that believed that the world was made by itself. Don't, f don't buy this nonsense. The more they scream at him, I'm an atheist, the more they believe more in you. You know how many people came to me and say, I'm an atheist, I'm an atheist. And I said, ah, enough with your nonsense, atheist. Yeah, yeah, you know what? You want to preach to me? Where was God in the Holocaust? I said, you just made my point. <laughs> a minute ago you say I'm an atheist. And then half a minute ago you say, where was God in the Holocaust? So you just said there is a God. You're just angry at him that he didn't save your grandparents in Auschwitz. Let's discuss why. But first, problem was resolved. There is a God, right? You just said, all oh, right, I didn't think about it. They're all confused. I give them my word. I put my life on it. It's a big gamble. No gamble at all. Every normal person knows somebody made the world and is a superpower. They may not know he's the God of Israel, he may not know, know Torah, he may not know religion, yes. But he knows there is a God. Someone made the world for sure and has some kind of a power that he has, unbelievable. So that part is easy, everyone knows it. So now, all these who claim they are atheists, they are all liars. They are not atheists, they know there is a God. But they don't care about him. So now who is worse? A person that knows there is a creator to the world and can care less about it and doesn't care about the purpose and doesn't check anything and doesn't inquire anything. Or someone that knows there is a creator to the world but he worships someone else instead of the creator, such as statue or JC or anything else. Huh? What do you think? What do you th what's worse? To know the real God and ignore him? Or to know the real God and worship someone else? If you would be God, who would, who would get you angrier? What do you think? Huh? Don't you agree that it's a little bit confusing question? Yeah. I'm trying to think. Let's try. Let me pretend that I'm a God for a minute. <laughs> Two people are in front of me. One knows I'm God and he worship Benji instead of me. <laughs> right? Benji is not a good example because I would actually enjoy it. <laughs> Someone I hate, let's say. All right? So he knows I'm the boss ignores me on purpose and kiss the feet of my biggest enemy in a room. Or someone that knows I'm the boss, just ignore me. Ignore me. But doesn't kiss the feet of anyone that I hate. Who's worse? Now I got my clear answer. <laughs> the one who worships someone else is worse. He gets got more angry. You're giving the credit to someone else? That's more annoying.
That's a deep philosophical question. Either way, they're both very wicked and they both have no shirt to the world to come. It doesn't make a difference. They're both going to be destroyed. Continue Rav Avigdor Miller Zatzal. And he says, when you see all these punishments that Hashem gave to the nations, the Gemara says it's always made for you to see. The Chinese has no ability to understand the whole village was flooded because he's an idol worshiper and Hashem cannot stand those idols, so he wiped them all out. He has no idea. But you in Israel knows exactly why. And you have to wake up and shake. Look at what Hashem can do to 10,000 people die in a second. Or 100,000. Or September 11, 3,000 in one hour. You should shake forever. How many people became religious when they went to Auschwitz? I had my wife's cousin, American kid, hippie. You know, rock and roll, Pearl Jam, long hair. Him and his father, two Democrats, li libs, liberals, used to fight with me, the Israeli Raidi. Every Friday night, I'm the religious Raidi, Israeli, and they are the American lefty, educated hippies. Right? So I'm preaching to them about things that I learned in seminars and in lectures, and they make fun, you know how it is. But the boy, the boy slowly, slowly started to realize that they live in a lie. When I gave him such proofs, he had no answers. But he didn't become religious until he went to Auschwitz. When he saw what happened to millions of Jews over there, came back, and not just became religious, extremely orthodox Hasid, Hasid beyond. Hasid with the Shtreimel Ferrat, beard, peot, all his children Hasidim. You have to see the family today. You would never ever believe that this person was until age 20, 21, was, was not religious. Never believe such thing. Why? He, he saw what, what happened to so many people and he shook him up. Some people is exact opposite. They would come to a place like this and leave their religion. Right? How did God allow such a thing to happen? I don't want anything to do with religion. In the end, Rabotai, a person believes what he wants to believe. Remember this. You choose what you want to believe, and you then begin to find reason how to justify it. So continue, Rav Victor Miller, he says, when you see a mountain volcano explode and burns all the people, and everybody runs everywhere, what is it supposed to remind you? It happened in a city called Pompeii. You heard about it or no? Mm -hmm. Pompeii. The volcano or in that town exploded. A cover, huh? Over there in the same city? No. Okay. And covered the whole city. Right? And Rabbi Victor Miller in his days, probably 30 years ago, 
He asked his audience, what did you learn from that? You, the Jew here in Brooklyn, that Hashem burns all these Italians over there, or whatever they are, that the whole city lava came and covered everything and melted everything in moments. Ir Shlema, streets, stores, famous, fancy building, fancy villas, in one minute, were buried under boiling lava. What's the, what's the purpose? To show that HaKadosh Baruch Hu revenge. Revenge. Revenge the wicked. Revenge the wicked by the Goim and revenge against the wicked by the Jews. But when it happens to the Goim, you better wake up and learn the lesson. Because you next. That's the purpose of giving them what they deserve, but not just to punish them. At the same time to wake you up that it won't happen to you tomorrow. Today, if you say such a thing in, uh, in America, you're crazy, radical, extreme. This was only 30 years ago here. Tzaddik, American, here. Right here, a few blocks away from here. What, do you think he didn't have opposers? You know how many liberals from the university used to fight him? But he was solid like a rock. Holy, solid, big, huge, giant Talmud Chacham, learning Slovotka. He said he, he saw the beginning of the Holocaust when he was in Slovotka. How the Jews going on the buses on Shabbat and everybody goes to work on Shabbat like a regular weekday. No religion left, nothing besides the yeshiva. They were all betraying Hashem. Shabbat, a regular day. When people used to say something, they used to get angry and make fun. Then later when Hitler burned them all, he said, people ask, how did it happen? Finally, one brave rabbi gets up and say, why it happened? You like it? Fine. You don't like it? Fine. Nobody cares what you think. It's emotional, it's a, it's a touchy subject, it's sensitive. We know it, we're not stupid. We know it's a sensitive topic. We're not happy to talk about it. Believe me, I would love to talk about blooming flowers in the spring or whatever. But when you see something like this happen, don't dare next time to ask if there is Gehenom or not. If the wicked people are burned in gas chambers in Gehenom and scream for everything they did or not. Don't dare to ask this. Because your eyes saw that it happened in our world. What makes you think it won't happen over there? What, the Torah is a lie? It's written 133 times in the Gemara. 133 times. And these American speakers, liars over here. There's no such thing. You really believe God punished? What kind of Torah they have? Maybe they have a different Torah we never heard of? Maybe there's another Torah out there. Maybe over there there's no punishment. Maybe in that Torah the Beit HaMikdash was never destroyed in their Torah. Maybe in their Torah there was no punishments for the years in the desert. Maybe in their Torah the nation of Israel were not slaves in Egypt for 210 years. Maybe in their Torah all these destructions that happened, Tisha B'Av, all the, the Romans and Babylonians and Haman, maybe in their Torah it never happened. They have a different Torah. I'm sorry, I never got to learn their Torah. If you know where this Torah came from, please give me a copy that I can learn it. So we'll know two different Torahs. The Torah of Hashem 
and the Torah of the University of Manhattan. The modern Orthodox Torah. The American modern Orthodox Torah. Maybe you give it to me, I'll learn it. Education, no? Enough with this nonsense. Do you think one of them believed their nonsense? I bet you, you bring each one of them to me, I connect him to a light detector and the machine will explode and go on flame. Do you really believe one of these clowns believe there's no hell when he speaks about it in his speeches? No. But it's just very good for business. The checks will be ten times more. Popularity will rise. People like positive compliments. Lies, not lies, who cares? It sells. You sell books. Santa Claus, one of the stars of my list, they made an article about him this week in the Israeli newspaper. They found out about him. And what was the headline? The revolutionary rabbi from United States, from Minnesota. Why is revolutionary? The headline. Look at this Chilul Hashem. I warned from it. Don't say I didn't warn. It's the biggest Chilul Hashem of our generation. Judaism is not a religion. We have to forget about religion. If you are religious, it's a problem. All the problems in the world is because of the religion. If you think we need God, you're wrong. He needs us just as much. Everything I complained about him, they praised him for. The secular lefty garbage newspaper. Then you know I was right. When the biggest haters of Torah praise him, revolutionary rab, soon they're going to join his synagogue. They are so in love with him now. Wow, finally one normal rabbi who say what we love to say. He also said that homosexuality is not an abomination, even though it's a clear verse in the Torah that it is. Which Kaveh Zachar Toeva, it says. Toeva means abomination. But he has a Torah from the university. Over there he doesn't say abomination, I guess. You understand? Aikari looks like Santa Claus with his beard. By the way, it's an insult for Santa Claus because I assume Santa Claus is Christian. And Christians are not pro-gay. He's pro-gay, but they are not. Christians believe in hell. He doesn't. So it's an insult for Santa Claus. Forgive me, Santa. I have to compare him to someone. Maybe I find a better example. No, no, I'm not joking. Comparing a reform uh, rabbi to a Christian or a Muslim is a huge insult to a Christian and a Muslim. I admit, it's a huge insult. A reform Jew is a billion times worse than any of them, Muslims or Christian. Million times worse. You know, they believe in God at least. They believe in reward and punishment. This reform believe in anything? Only in evil. They believe in have mercy on murderers. They believe in abortion, murdering baby. They believe in freedom to the murderers. They believe in depressing the religion. They deny the exodus of Egypt. They deny the Torah. They deny reward and punishment. 
they condemn a lot of things in the Torah. What's religious about them? Here, you just had a perfect example in Texas. One hour, this university clown is speaking about the miracle that happened to him. Now, one word he mentioned Hashem. One hour, now one time he said Hashem or God. They don't even want to mention the name God. It's an insult for them to say God. Every Arab murderer, Saddam Hussein, Yasser Arafat, Hezbollah, Nasrallah, all of those Shahids, murderers, Nazis, every second word from their mouth, Allah, 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 all day like this. La, 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 la. Reform, Rabbi of the synagogue. $20 million complex over there. Big building, huge parking lot. How many people show up on Shabbat? The rabbi and three more guys. The rest joining on Zoom. So what do you need a shul for? It's not a shul, it's worse than a church. But what do you need a place? Chabala on the money. Everybody from a Zoom. Zoom. They actually saw the attack on Zoom live. On Facebook live. But I want to tell you something. In the end, when the Arab didn't pay attention, this hero, the reform rabbi, threw a chair on him and they ran away. Now it made the miracle ten times bigger. Do you know what happened when you throw a chair on an Arab terrorist with a gun in his head? If he had no plan to kill you, if this moment he must kill you, you hurt his ego. He will never leave you. If he can kill, run for hours after you to kill you. Even though it wasn't the original plan, it was just a show. Now for sure he's going to kill you. And you got away with that. And now one word of thank you to Hashem. I once uh, invited another Klippa from Beverly Hills. His name is Wolpe. Serious Klippa. Gam can reform. Sinai, Sinai, Shul, something in Beverly Hills. I invited him to do a debate. Once for all, let the world see these clowns. Because I heard a video that he said there was no exodus of Egypt. So you know what, let's crush this kofer heretic one. Once for all, that everybody will see that these people have no idea what they're talking about. They don't know anything about the religion, alphabet. He sent me an email, I'm not interested. Very politely. Not interested to do a debate, of course. What do you have to sell? What kind of book you represent? None. The book you represent doesn't exist. It's the fruit of your imagination. So how are you going to come to a debate when you don't even know who you represent? If you come as a Muslim, the Muslim knows Quran. He's going to try to represent the Quran. Christian knows the New Testament. He's going to try to represent the New Testament. A Buddhist will try to represent Buddhism. Everybody else who belongs to a different cult will try to represent his cult. They do not represent anyone. They are atheists and secular. That's, they don't believe in anything. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in the Torah. Everything the Torah says, it's a joke for them. They have no problem to do the exact opposite. 
they do whatever they like. They don't even have some kind of a constitution. Okay, make some rules. Do you have any rules? No, everything is allowed. Jews with goyim, men with men, people with animals, whatever you want. It's all allowed. And Hashem keeps attacking their shuls here in America. Pittsburgh, and now this one, and this one, and that one. Hopefully, maybe somebody will wake up. Anyone woke up? I doubt it. I doubt it very much. Any questions before we finish? For those who came late, next two Tuesdays, I'm not going to be here. It's not Hashem. Tomorrow I fly to Israel. You know, you never know what's going to happen. I tell you, you have a flight with the COVID, thousands of employees don't show up. All of a sudden, I cancel the flight. You never know. So the plan is Hashem to fly to Israel. And I'll be back on the February 6th. So the next lecture here will be February 8th. And it's all if Hashem will agree and want. We don't know. We hope that it will be Bezrat Hashem. We hope that Mashiach come. We don't need to, to be here. But until then, we will continue to hope. Baruch Adonai Leolam. Amen v'amen. Rabbi Hananiah ben Akashia Omer. Ratzah Kadosh Baruch Hu